0: This week, I've got something a little different for you, a glimpse back to 2017, when I took to the TEDx stage to talk about the importance of home languages in our international schools. Hey everyone, it's Shane Leaning. Welcome back to Global Ed Leaders, a podcast about education across countries and cultures. I'm an organizational coach and in this show, I learn with the teachers, leaders, and innovators making a difference around the world. I'm also delighted that today's episode is supported by the University of Warwick's Centre for Teacher Education. Stay tuned to learn more or head to the show notes for links. So as I mentioned, today I want to share with you the TEDx talk that I gave in 2017. Now, you can find this online on the TED website and on YouTube, but I thought it would be worth bringing to the podcast. So what I've done is re-recorded it so you can listen on the go rather than having to tune in online. What's interesting is that even though I gave this talk seven years ago now, it's still just as relevant today and gives a clear call to action for parents especially to nurture their children's home language. So let's jump in. I remember in German language class when I was 13, our teacher made a real point of focusing on vocabulary. Maybe you've had a similar experience. One day, in explaining the importance of repetition, she taught us, and I quote, Use a word ten times, and it shall be yours for life. It was then that I heard my friend Simon at the back of the classroom, hands clasped, elbows rooted onto the table, repeating, Sarah, 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 Sarah. I'm sorry to tell you that Sarah didn't fall lovingly into Simon's arms. The repeat and you shall keep rule didn't work for Simon. And it doesn't work for love. And it definitely doesn't work for language. See, most of my teaching career, I've been an English language teacher. I spent many years helping students from all over the world to develop their English. And today I'm going to share with you some of the findings I've made during those years. And I'm hoping particularly to convince you of the importance of nurturing home languages. So, think back to when you were 13 years old. You're sat in a classroom, you're facing the front, and the teacher writes on the chalkboard, trigonometry. Everyone's face drops. You know, I've never really fully understood trigonometry myself. Even now, I'm not a mathematician, and I've always been jealous of those who do. I don't know, perhaps my brain's not wired that way. But either way, trigonometry is the subject. The teacher tries to work the class through every detailed measurement of a triangle. Not an easy task to teach, never mind to learn. But now imagine you were giving that explanation in a different language. And it's here in the telex talk that I usually displayed a picture of an explanation of trigonometry in Bosnian. And I'm not going to attempt to read it for fear of offending or looking like a fool. But the point is, how much more difficult is it to understand without knowing the language? You see, our home languages, our mother tongues, are an essential part of our thinking minds and identities. They represent who we are to the world, and they're also the bedrock of all our learning, be that maths, science, or English. Our mother tongue is so important, even when we're learning through a second language. But do we as parents and educators pay enough attention to the home language of the children we support? I'd argue not. Now, it may surprise you to know that most children around the world attend schools which teach in a language different to their mother tongue. This might sound impossible, but think about it. How many languages exist in China? We're not just talking accents here, but whole spoken languages. State education here is delivered in Mandarin, yet most children will speak a local dialect at home with their families and friends. Cantonese in Guangdong, for example, This system is mirrored in many other countries like India. Now, added to these schools is a particular type of school that has seen incredible growth in the last 10 to 20 years, the international school. And this has been particularly true where I'm based, in China. There are countless schools in Shanghai alone. Now, interestingly, studies suggest that the number one reason for parents choosing international schools is so that their children can learn English. And this makes sense. In a world of ever-growing globalization, English has become the lingua franca, the common language of government, business, and communities. And naturally, it seems that in the pursuit of learning English, parents are willing to go to great lengths to ensure success for their children. In line with the growth of international schools, we've also seen an explosion of language academies in our cities. For the most part, these used to serve adults wishing to learn English, usually for business. Yet now they're open every evening and weekend and serve more and more children. It is not uncommon for children to leave their international schools where they've been reading English, writing English, speaking and listening in English all day to go straight to academy to learn yet more English. And for good reasons, the government in China has recently clamped down on after-school tutorings but it still goes on behind closed doors and the English tutoring system is mirrored around the world. For me, this is unnecessary. Not only that, but potentially damaging to children's language learning journey and worse still, harmful to their social and emotional well-being. Why? Because through the blind pursuit of English, we can lose sight of our home languages, our mother tongues. In this podcast, I often talk about how recruiting and developing top-notch teachers can be a big challenge for international school leaders. Luckily, the University of Warwick Centre for Teacher Education stands out. Their IQTS and PGCI with QTS courses are bespoke for our international setting, blending online learning with practical classroom experience. This approach not only addresses the immediate recruitment needs, but also fosters a long-term evidence-informed teaching ethos. Discover how you can support new teachers in your school with the University of Warwick using the links in the show notes. Let me tell you a story. A few years back now, I worked with a young boy, Joe, a lovely little guy from Korea, around six years old. He'd just moved with his mum and dad to China with their work, so was enrolled in the English International School where I taught. The first few weeks he was doing great. Always a big grin on his face ear to ear. Quiet, yes, but he seemed to be making friends okay. Yet soon his teachers started to worry. His English didn't seem to be improving. He would only communicate in simple phrases and stayed silent most of the time. So we got his parents in to try and understand the problem better. When they came in, we were stumped. Here were his parents. The kind of parents every teacher wants. Super supportive. In anticipation of him starting an English school, they bought loads of English books to read with him, changed the TV channels to English, and even enrolled him in a local academy for weekend English lessons. With all this, surely you would expect his English to improve. Yet it wasn't getting any better. And if Joe's English didn't improve soon, he could fall behind with his studies, including math, science and other subjects he learned. Then we asked this question. How is Joe's Korean? Um, well, we still speak a bit at home, but we've tried to focus on English. Do you read with him in Korean? Um, not for a while, but every day in English. Ah, well, that's good that you read in English. Do you watch TV in Korean? No, just English now. Right. Does he still study any Korean? No because he's in an English school now. I'm not going to role play anymore. You see where this is going. We asked the parents to try something. For the next month, bring Korean back into Joe's life. Read Korean books with him. Watch Korean TV and talk about what he's done in school. Not in English, but in Korean. And then we'll meet again. Before we move on to seeing if there's an underlying learning need, we wanted to try this first. And they did. And one month later, in school, Joe was speaking more English, reading more English, writing more English, and his skills in other subjects were on the up. Why did this work? Because the different languages we learn don't exist in isolated compartments in the brain. Scientists are coming to understand that there isn't a single language component in the brain at all, and that we use several parts of our brain to store and produce language. Jim Cummins, a Canadian professor, gave this analogy, which I find rather useful. It's of the dual iceberg model. So imagine two icebergs. The tips of the icebergs represent the surface features of our languages, how they sound, how they look, the things that make them different. So we could have two icebergs representing a bilingual learner. Of course, we could have many more. So if you're trilingual, there'll be three tips. What's important is that if we look underneath the iceberg, we see they're connected under the water. And this connecting section is what Jim Cummins labeled as the common underlying proficiency. This is important as it means if we learn a concept in one language, we don't have to relearn it in another language. Luckily, if you learn trigonometry in Chinese, you don't need to learn how to calculate angles of a triangle again when you learn English. You just need to learn the language to describe it. All I may even have to do as a teacher is display it in your home language or pictorially and, if you already know the concept in your mother tongue, you can connect the dots. The father of modern linguistics, Noam Chomsky, once said, Within one mother tongue are all mother tongues. Put another way, language is innate to human programming. And the thousands of languages that we have created on this planet all follow certain underlying principles. All known languages have nouns, words that represent things. And all known languages have verbs, words that describe actions. Our brains may not be hardwired for trigonometry, but they are for language. And this hardwiring suggests that learning a second language in isolation from the first is not an efficient way to learn at all. Better than that, by embracing the first language when learning a second, we can actually enhance learning. A few years ago, I was sat in the school staff room having a coffee with a geography teacher. Now, I know who would choose to sit in their break with a geography teacher, but I did. And he told me a class project he was doing with his year nines. That's about 14 year olds. At the end of the term, the students were all to make a presentation. On how certain natural disasters are formed. Three girls in the class, however, were from Thailand and had little English between them. Alarm bells started ringing for me at this stage. I've seen it in the past where students with limited English are thrown into project work blind and struggle to access the content the whole way through, ending in low results. Anyone here fancy making a presentation on volcanoes in Swahili, for example? We probably couldn't even engage with the reading we had to do, never mind discuss, form conclusions or present. So the geography teacher and I agreed to take a slightly different approach for these girls than the rest of the class. The teacher said to them, you can do this whole project in Thai. You can discuss, research, plan, all in Thai, no restrictions. The only thing I will ask is that you must present your findings in English when it gets to the end of the term. Now because of this, the three girls engaged deeply with the content in front of them. They used the internet, spoke with family, and passionately researched their presentation on the formation of volcanoes, all in their mother tongue. At the end, as agreed, they translated their findings from Thai into English and presented to their class. Of course, this took them extra time, which was rightly given, but it also resulted in them receiving, and get this, The highest results in the class. Now, I'm not one to say that grades are the sum total of education, but let's think about that for a second. The highest results in the class. This could have ended so differently. As I said, if those girls had to plan in English, could they have confidently researched, learned, and presented on the complexities of volcanoes? Unlikely. And the teacher could have assumed that they simply didn't have the ability. Or worse still, the girls themselves could have thought the same. What a damaging message. By supporting the first language, as in this case, we can create huge positive academic, social and emotional outcomes. And we, parents and educators, are responsible for making sure this happens. It's funny, the conversation that I'm having with you now has already been had in some detail not too far from Shanghai in Hong Kong. After Hong Kong was returned to China in 1997, the local government had some decisions to make about language. For years, British English was used for government and education, yet, most students went home to speak Cantonese with parents who often couldn't understand English. This was given as one reason that school academic results were not as high as they would have liked. And as a result, policies were put in place to ensure that students didn't fall behind. And one of these policies, a new emphasis on Cantonese, the home language of the majority of Hong Kongers. And it was reported that this then led to better student performance. So if we can agree that nurturing the mother tongue is good for the additional languages we wish to learn, then how do we go about nurturing it? I propose three steps that both parents and teachers can use to support emerging bilingual children. Review Read, relax. Review Parents, this one is key. If your child is learning through English, what are you doing at home to support the content of their learning? The maths, the science, the inquiry. A simple thing you can do is ask your children what they did at school today. This is a typical conversation in the homes of monolinguals, but can be missing from bilingual children's lives. Parents might subconsciously detach from the learning at school because the language is different to theirs. But you don't need to speak English to talk about what happened at school. Do it in your mother tongue. This way, their academic language is being developed bilingually. Equally, teachers, what opportunities are you making for the use of home language in your classroom? Can you use techniques similar to the geography teacher? Can you find opportunities to share with parents what the children are doing in class so that they can take their learning home? Secondly, read. And I should add write to that. Parents, I can't stress this enough. Read with your children in your home language. We learn so much through what we read and why restrict that to just English. Equally, can you find natural opportunities for your children to write in their home language, perhaps letters to friends and family, stories. Be creative with this. It could be great fun and certainly might not be something they're doing in their international school. On that note, teachers, are there ways that you can use a child's reading and writing in their first language as an advantage in the classroom? And finally, relax. Learning a second language is hard. And it can be stressful. How much pressure do you put on the children you teach to learn English? One of the biggest barriers to learning anything is stress. And if we can take off the pressure a little, and yes, that may include not taking on that extra tutor, that may include setting a little less homework, and that may include encouraging a lighter approach to testing, we can give our children the space they deserve to learn. review. Read. Relax. I hope the importance of this message is made clear by the very labelling of our home languages. Think about it. Home language. Home. The place we're safe. The place we return to every day. The place we think. The place we love. And mother tongue. Mother. The very symbol of our safety, our grounding and our birth. You know, I live away from my birth home. I'm from England, but I live in China. But I return home every year when I can, and where my mother and father are will always be a home to me. They're my grounding and have laid the foundations for everything I have and everything I am today. Regardless of how many languages we're lucky enough to have, our mother tongue, our home language, is the foundation on which everything else we learn is built. Thank you. Global Ed Leaders is hosted and produced by me, Shane Leaning, with original music by Guillaume Silva. If you like this show, it would mean the world if you could write a review on your podcast platform. Go there now and write a quick review for me. I'll be sure to check it and give a shout out on the show. And if you're online, reach out and share your journey. You can find me on X using my handle at meaning shame or LinkedIn using the links in the show notes. But as ever, if we don't speak before, I'll see you here next week. If you want to improve recruitment and retention of great teachers in your school, don't forget to check out the University of Warwick's teacher training programs using the links in the show notes.